I would love to just see a shift. Um, and this is something that I hope the book will, you know, contribute to in the way that we think about exercise and movement so that it moves away from being um, maybe as performative as it's been over the past couple decades and more just about a source of, um, well, a tool for mental health and emotional well-being and, and for feeling good. Welcome to She Speaks How She Does It, a podcast about inspiring women to speak up and be heard. I'm your host, Aliza Freud, the founder and CEO of She Speaks. Each week, we give an amazing woman the platform to share their knowledge and advice on a topic impacting women while sharing insights from our community of quarter of a million women. Listen in each week to be inspired to speak up and be heard. Welcome back. Hope you're all having a great week so far. So today, we are going to talk about a topic that many women have told us they've struggled with over the years uh, and have a love-hate relationship with. I, myself, am one of those women, have a love-hate relationship with the topic and uh, the activity of exercise. And the reason we're going to be talking about exercise is because we have on uh, Danielle Friedman, She's an award-winning journalist who writes for the New York Times, Vogue, NBC News, and others. And she, the beat she covers is women's health and gender and the intersection with pop culture. And she's just written a book called Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. And really what she did in this, she had written an article back in 2018 for The Cut that went viral. And it was about women and exercise. And um, in particular, I believe she was talking about the bar method, which was actually developed around 2000, 2001. But in this, based on the fact that that article went viral, uh, what Danielle decided to do was look into the history of women's exercise more and understand where it all started. And one of the really interesting things that she does in this book is she takes this kind of all the way back uh, to the late 1950s, which is when uh, organized exercise for women really began. Before that, there really wasn't organized exercise for women. And and the history of it, and what she does is she kind of takes us through the evolution and then to where we are today. And what we talk about during this conversation is kind of how that's all evolved and what it means. And uh, one of the things that Danielle talks about, which I thought was really interesting, was the value of exercising and moving in sync with other people and the community building elements of fitness and exercise, which I had never considered. Um, really, this was such an interesting and enlightening conversation for me. It absolutely made me think differently about exercise and what some of the value is. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did having the conversation. And here we go. We're going to jump right into it. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I am really glad that we're getting a chance to talk because this topic of exercise has come up a lot. Um, and it's certainly over the last two years, something that we hear women talking about um, consistently. But, you know, I think maybe people feel like they're they have had quarantines, so they've had to make specific time to go and do something physical. 
Can you talk a little bit, introduce yourself, but talk a mm-hmm. little bit about your career and how you ended up getting into the the uh, idea of writing Let's Get Physical? Absolutely. So I have been a women's health journalist for the past 15 years. I actually started my career um, as a book editor, a nonfiction book editor at Two Imprints of Penguin. Mm-hmm. And um, which certainly came in handy <laughs> when it was time for me to write a book. Mm-hmm. But um, I left book publishing for journalism and um, I held various roles uh, in as part of the senior editorial staff at the Daily Beast in its early days, at NBC News Digital, um, at a startup called Fusion. And while I covered a little bit of a little bit of everything, I always came back to women's health as well as kind of the intersection of women's health with gender, sexuality, and popular culture. Um, and it was that beat that really led me to this topic that I write about in Let's Get Physical and, and the book project in general. Um, I hadn't actually written that much about women's fitness before the book. Um, I was focused a little bit more on reproductive health and maternity issues. Um, but um, the book came about when I took my first bar class, my first bar workout class. I am a lifelong runner, but I had never really um, delved into (laughs) partaking in boutique fitness. And um, I decided to check out bar and I was just kind of fascinated by the whole bar subculture. I also, because I was doing a lot of reporting on the sexual, on, on women's sexual health at the time, was sort of wondering whether the workout had a positive impact on women's sexual health because it's very based on, um, you know, tucks and pelvic thrusts. And Mm -hmm. basically um, one thing led to another and I stumbled on this incredibly fascinating (laughs) history of Barr and of Lottie Burke, the woman who invented Barr in the late 1950s. Um, I wrote about that story for New York Magazine's The Cut and the story went viral. And it was while researching that and just seeing the response that I I knew there was a larger story to tell here. I, I really couldn't believe that nobody had written a book about the history and evolution of women's fitness culture. Mm. Well, Let's talk a little bit first before we dive into that about what is Bar because I also you in the book you also talk about Bonnie Pruden and I want to talk mm-hmm. about her mm-hmm. but what is Bar I, I for those of us who are not familiar with it can you quickly kind of explain what kind of exercise it is Yes yeah so Bar the Bar workout phenomenon has become a multi billion dollar industry mm-hmm. um, the workout itself is based on basically these kind of teeny tiny isometric resistance exercises performed largely at a ballet bar. That's where it gets its name from mm. also on, on a mat. And um, Lottie Burke herself was a former dancer who um, there's a long, very complicated story in the book, a uh, very colorful story, but who was was sort of um, starting a new chapter of her life in her 40s and invented this workout that combined what she had learned through ballet with yoga and what we would now call you know, physical therapy. And um, the workout does, you know, make make you very strong very quickly. Mm. Um, but it's also marketed as a way for women to, um, you know, 
lift tone and burn their bodies and to, and to strive for basically the stereotypical dancer's physique. Mm -hmm. um, so, and yes, I'm glad you mentioned Bonnie Pruden. Um, and I'll just say that the book begins in the 1950s. Each chapter at, as we work our way up to the present really focuses on a different pioneer, female pioneer from each era and each major movement of women's fitness. Um, and shows how everything is interconnected and, um, you know, leads us up to the present. So um, let's, if we can, um, and I'm glad that I, I uh, that you mentioned uh, Bonnie Pruden because um, she also was responsible for a big shift in how we women thought about exercising. Can you talk a little bit about who she was and, and um, some of the things that she has contributed in this space? Yes. Um, so Bonnie Pruden is really a forgotten pioneer of um, not just fitness, but um, for, and not just fitness for women, but the idea that for men, women, and children moving regularly, incorporating movement into our lives um, can, can impact our overall sense of well-being. Um, she opens my book. Um, she first kind of rose to prominence in the 1950s and 60s. She was actually on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 1957 and went on to have one of the very first um, TV fitness shows in the 1960s. Mm. Um, and there could be, to be, you know, to be honest, there could be books written just about Bonnie, but <laughs> for the sake of, um, of brevity, I'll say that in the context of the history that I tell, um, she was really impactful in that she did explicitly tell women that um, it was appropriate for them to exercise. Because the thing to understand is that at the time, um, in the post-World War II era, which was a time of really strict gender norms and social norms, um, for women, vigorous, strenuous exercise was really considered was just incredibly radical. Mm -hmm. So Bonnie, um, you know, was very savvy in her messaging and she encouraged women to, to sweat and to do push-ups. And she had all sorts of um, little Bonnie-isms, little taglines. One of them was, um, under every under every curve, there's a muscle, no muscle, no curve, which is sort of, again, maybe not so scientifically sound, but um, she got her point across. The thing, you know, the, the sort of flip side, and this is a theme that is woven throughout this whole story, is that um, because selling strength for strength's sake would have sort of been, that message would have been just laughed at, um, Bonnie and some of the early pioneers basically learned to package exercise for women um, as a beauty tool, as yes, it will make you feel good. Women should be strong. You know, there's, there's nothing unladylike about muscle. And yet, you know, at the same time, um, it will make you more attractive for your, to your male partner. It will make you more conventionally, um, have a more conventionally uh, attractive figure. So um, that kind of tension is woven throughout the entire history of women's fitness. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit then about the evolution because um, it, 
it does uh, strike me that certainly for many years, and I remember um, the Jane Fonda era mm-hmm. where everyone was kind of doing aerobics, right? In their yep. leg warmers and whatever. And that was the craze for, for a while. But, you know, I think that where we are today and maybe, and I would love to get your perspective on this, but mm-hmm. I seem to hear much more as it relates to exercise that connects it to mental well-being and not just about the physical, um, you know, you know, like you're going to look better. Yes. I mean, yes, that's a buy. So it's almost like the exact opposite of what Bonnie Pruden and some of the other female pioneers in in the space had to do um, where they focused more on the attractiveness first and then the other benefits after. Uh, Do you think that we are in a different time now in terms of how how exercise is being discussed and um, and what the benefits are. Yes, I think we're at the beginning of a shift. Um, I I very intentionally titled the first chapter of my book, the Bonnie Pruden chapter, Reduce, and the last chapter, Expand, um, because I think we are at a moment of expanding our ideas of what what exercise can be for, of what a fit body looks like, of who fitness is for. Um, The way I kind of see it is that throughout this whole history, um, exercise as a beauty tool and exercise as as a path to empowerment were kind of, you know, just inextricably interwoven. And in order to, um, reap the benefits of fitness culture, you had to also, women had to also kind of put up with this other layer of pressure and sometimes, frankly, you know, toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, which is not to say that, that you know, women haven't been able to carve a very empowering path um, throughout the past several decades. So many women I interviewed um, who are now in their, you know, 70s, 80s and older talked about how the thing that got them in the door was the promise of physical transformation and beauty and weight loss. But the thing that made them stay was the discovery of these more profound benefits. But the change that I've seen more recently is that those those threads really are starting to be untangled. And you know, women are are pushing back against the idea that fitness sh- that 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 there is first of all that there's one ideal we should all be striving for um, that that should be the primary goal that we need to change the way we look to be acceptable or lovable, and so you know it can be it's I've I've spoken with. Um, people who kind of fall on different sides of this, of this issue. But um, I will say that whether it's for, you know, whatever it represents, the language of fitness culture has definitely started to change over the past, say, five years. Um, Mm -hmm. Many fitness professionals, whereas, you know, in the early aughts, would just openly talk about working toward a bikini body or, or focusing on your problem areas cringe at at the way they used to talk about fitness and today focus, you know, just don't talk about physical appearance at all and really do focus on the, um, the mental, emotional and, and physical, uh, health benefits. So, um, it is, it's very exciting to see that, that, you know, beginning to shift, there's more body diversity. Um, there's just, there's more, 
there are more options today, but I, I think we're at the beginning, we're at the beginning of that shift. Well, let's, if we can talk a little bit about what are, since you were able to talk with so many um, people thinking through the gen- the the decades um, since the fifties, where we started having women more focused on uh, on exercise. What would you say today the the latest and greatest thinking is on the benefits of exercising? Mm. Well, I think you you know you hit the nail on the head with mental health. I think that. Um, and that's something that has just been, you know, learned firsthand, I think, by so many women and men, but um, but focusing it on women. Um, and I, you know, this is certainly true for me um, as, as someone who, like I said, I'm a lifelong runner and I know, you know, I, I know intimately how having access to um, to running and to the, the opportunity to run has shaped my identity, shaped my sense of physical confidence and trust in my body. Um, And I can talk more about that. But I think, you know, we're seeing there have been a a growing number of, you know, books and scientific studies over the past few years about the, the mental health benefits, which, you know, it's there's so many components to it, because there's there's the social and community component. And especially when you look at, um, for example, just like aging, you know, we know how important it is to feel um, connected to a larger community. And for so many women, you know, particularly baby boomers and older, they're finding that through fitness. Um, So there's, there's that sense. There's also the, the physiological, um, benefits. You know, when we, one of my favorite discoveries while researching the book um, was that when we move in sync with other people, um, our bodies release neurotransmitters that contribute to a sense of um, purpose in life and hope and and social connection. Mm -hmm. So um, it's all, you know, it's all interconnected, but the, I I think rightly there has been um, an increasing focus on that aspect. Wow. I, I had never thought about the community elements of fitness and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm somebody who, um, never thought of myself as an exerciser. I mean, I was always relatively active, but, um, during COVID I bought a rower Mm. And I thought, well, am I ever going to use this? I want to, because I like the idea of rowing. And I started doing it, started building the habit of doing it. And mm-hmm. for me, it it's not about the change in my body at all. It's not about losing right. weight. It's not about any of that. Because if it were, honestly, I probably would have stopped. Because mm-hmm. it's not like you get a huge impact. I mean, you have to burn a lot mm-hmm. to have it make mm-hmm. a, have exercise alone make a huge difference. But what it I found personally is that the difference it made was just the mental well-being. I I I definitely felt different on days where I didn't row versus the days I did row. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to not take note of. Right. So, so I've started, I certainly think of myself now more as a person who exercises versus before, but that's still a solitary thing I'm doing. I'm doing it 
here in my home mm -hmm. um, where so many of us have been for the last two years. But uh, as you know, as um, you just mentioned, the benefits of fitness as it relates to community and thinking about it in that way, it's just not something that ever occurred to me that there are those benefits of of connecting with other people just given what happens to our bodies when when we move i guess in unison exactly yeah we we were you know literally born to move and 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 um historically evolute from an evolutionary perspective um moving in sync with others cooperating with others has been pretty key to human survival mm. um so it, it runs really deep and you know i think um and this was one of the things that drew me to this topic. Um, very understandably, I think women's fitness culture and group fitness has been, um, you know, has been looked at as a, um, for the ways in which it damages women, you know, and, and um, it's been subject to a lot of critique, which, which, as I say, it, it you know, it warrants. Um, but I think in that conversation, one thing that's been sort of overlooked is all of the all of the fitness communities that have started to emerge or that have evolved that are, you know, they might not sort of, they might be a bit removed from that sort of sleek, sexy, boutique fitness, you know, culture that gets a lot of attention. But um, but they're there and they're really meaningful for a lot of women. Um, I think, you know, I, it's been really interesting for me to even see my, my mom's um, relationship with exercise evolve. She's 74 and she discovered, she was an aerobics fan back in the day when I was born. <laughs> and um, some of my earliest memories are of accompanying her and sitting in the babysitting area, but she, she kind of rediscovered dance and, what's now called cardio dance a few years ago. And, and she did, she did keep up with it on zoom. Um, but once in-person classes returned, I mean, she has just talked to me about how the absence of it, you know, made her realize how vital that community has become to her life. She's made new friends, you know, in her early seventies, which, which we know it can be so hard to make friends later in life. And, um, yeah, and I've experienced something similar through the running group that I'm a part of, which is, you know, so not focused on anything cosmetic. Um, mm. So it can be sometimes hard, you know, you have to maybe do a little bit of digging to find the right community for you, but they are out there. Do you, do you think that there is a recognition that for women in particular, uh, the exercise and even potentially community-based exercise mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is, is, is important? That's a great question. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to separate sort of my perception of the cultural, any cultural changes there, because that has been such an important goal of mine personally. Um, and so, you know, I was really interested in, based on interviews that I did, how the rise of group fitness for women, um, was a source of of liberation mm -hmm. and what i what i heard very frequently in my interviews was that for many women who had really been denied sort of opportunities to well certainly to play sports but to move to feel comfortable in their bodies uh, as girls and young women um discovering exercise for them 
was was liberating on many levels, including the fact that for so much of women's history, you know, our primary purpose was basically to serve others, to, um, you know, to be wives and mothers and secretaries. And so stepping out of the home and into a space a female, you know, a largely female space where the sole purpose was just to, um, you know, cultivate um, physical strength and and to feel good in your body was was really significant for a lot of women and and um, in many cases empowered them to go on to kind of make changes in other parts of their life. Um, I I always think about a quote from Judy Shepard Missett, the creator of Jazzercise, um, who said that back when she first created Jazzercise, um, she created it in 1969, it took off throughout the 70s and early 80s, um, the women who were coming to her classes weren't necessarily out, you know, trying to change the world at large, but they were changing their world. And, you know, I think when enough women change their world, it can have a kind of collective impact on the way, on women's self-perception and the way they they view their sense of space and power in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to think about it in that context. And I wonder if there is, um, maybe that's like an upcoming article that you <laughs> could consider if it's, um, you know, just specifically the lens of, um, of women in terms of leadership and mm-hmm. w- a career and how that overlays with exercise. Because I, I don't think I, when I think about what were, who were the first group of women mm-hmm. who I heard about exercising on a routine basis, it wasn't for me until I started working, you know, started my career. Mm-hmm. And I would look around and all these women were like going and working out several mm-hmm. times a week. And I thought that's not something, I mean, I grew up, my mom is also in her early seventies and I grew up at a time where, you know, the exercise, it, it, it was more of what you just, the first thing you described it felt, I think, to people of my mom's generation, and I'm not going to speak to everyone, but just maybe because I'm more familiar with her and her mm-hmm. friends, that it was a little bit of like when everything else got done, kids, family, whatever else I had to do, exercise if I have time for it. But it was never something that they felt empowered mm. to prioritize. Mm. If you had to think about how the book impacted you on your own journal journey, your own mm-hmm. personal journey uh, with exercise, how would you say that it's impacted you? Yeah, it has impacted me in sort of like a million little ways. Um, I... I've always personally been a fan of hidden histories, hidden cultural histories that give me kind of a new appreciation for the everyday. And so that was part of what intrigued me about this topic. And it was also the kind of story I wanted to tell. So by learning about the pioneers who really fought for women's right to move and who created opportunities and who were willing to be subversive, you know, that has given me a much deeper appreciation for the opportunities that I have today. Um, And, and, you know, that for me, that's just been wonderful to have that extra layer of kind of meaning infused in, Mm -hmm. in 
um, fitness. Um, it's also, I'm much more aware now of all of the various kind of hidden forces that have been at play in women's fitness culture over time, um, including including the, you know, the forces that um, have tried to kind of harness fitness culture to be about encouraging women to, to want to constantly be improving on their bodies and changing the way they look. And so, um, you know, like anyone, I'm still like, I'm, I will often feel, you know, the urge to want to run to maybe um, fit into a pair of jeans that's become a little too snug. Or I think the power of the makeover is really, um, you know, kind of can't be understated. But the work that I've done has allowed me to kind of take a step back and say, okay, what am I really striving for here? What am I really hoping to accomplish? And I can feel a bit more in control of um, my my actions that way. Well, and I think um, <clears throat> to understanding that it, that fitness is much broader than just about your appearance yes, and the benefits of doing it are, you know, of, of being uh, physical and you, this is, a, I think an interesting thing that, that I heard as you were talking mm-hmm. is it's about a lot of this is the appreciation and value of movement, yes. right? Going yes. back to what we were talking about with Bonnie Pruden, it's that appreciation and, um, and the freedom, right? That we can move and what mm-hmm. does that do for us mm-hmm. and how, how much positivity yes. is associated with that. Hi, everyone. Just a quick break to say that if you're enjoying this episode or you have suggestions, please consider leaving us a review where you listen to the podcast and also subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. We would also love for you to consider joining the She Speaks community. It's free to join and you'll get the chance to have first access to surveys, giveaways, product reviews, sampling opportunities, and great content like this podcast. Visit SheSpeaks.com to join and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at SheSpeaksUp. Now, back to the show. What do you hope that people take away from the book? Mm. Um, I think that... Um, if there's one kind of overarching message is that women, um, I would just encourage women to move in ways that feel good for them. And for some women that, that might be training for a marathon or doing a boot camp or just like pushing themselves to their absolute limits, you know, strength training. For other women that might be um, doing restorative yoga, you know, or going for a walk around the block every day. And, you know, what, when we look at the research, it's it's no sort of surprise that even with all of the, um, you know, even with how ubiquitous fitness culture is today, um, most Americans do not get the recommended daily amount of, of physical activity. Um, I think a lot of women are still sort of still have the mentality that you mentioned that you're mother's, you know, your mother and her friends had of it's sort of something um, it's not a top priority because there are so many other things that have to get done first. Mm -hmm. And, and to be sure there are many 
structural issues that prevent many of us <laughs> from making having the time means or safe space to to move but i also think that um as fitness became more of an industry it, it was really marketed as something that if you wanted to participate you had to you had to kind of buy in literally to this whole way of life that involved you know expensive memberships and and a certain, you know, moisture wicking uniform and all of all of the accoutrement of fitness, which can just seem really overwhelming and daunting when you're already overwhelmed and burned out. Um, so I think that um, I would love to just see a shift. Um, and this is something that I hope the book will, you know, contribute to in the way that we think about exercise and movement so that it moves away from being um, maybe as performative as it's been over the past couple decades and more just about a source of, um, well, a tool for mental health and emotional well-being and, and for feeling good. Yeah. All right. Well, we have one question that we love to ask everybody who comes on the show. So um, I would love, Danielle, if you could share with us what piece of advice or what do you wish you could tell your younger self what mm -hmm. you want your younger self to know? Mm, great question. This is always a tricky question to answer because I think that I, um, I actually tend to give my younger self a lot of grace. You know, I think part of it's intentional. Mm -hmm. I try to not, I try to not live with regret, regret, um, which I think, you know, does, does require, trying. Um, and at the risk of maybe sounding a little bit um, cheesy, I, th I honestly think I would tell my younger self, thank you. Because my younger self, like, did a lot of the really hard work um, that led me to the life that I live now, you know, professionally, personally. Um, I think, like so many women, I had, you know, my share of struggles throughout my 20s and, and 30s. And, um, but I really tend to, see, I see them as, um, you know, challenges, challenging times um, that led to where I am today. And it wasn't all challenging times. I don't want to oversell it. But when I, you know, when I, when I think back to some of those challenging times, I'm just very grateful to my younger self for, for, sticking with it and, and doing the work. You're the first person, and I have asked many women this question. <laughs> You're the first person who has ever said, I want to tell her thank you. That is, I'm, I'm literally choked up thinking mm. about it because mm. it's what you started by saying, which is that you give your younger self grace. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there is such a gift in that because I think we tend to look backwards and play, not to use a sports metaphor, but it's the only one I can think of, but we play Monday morning quarterback. I love a good like, sports metaphor. <laughs> I know. I, once I figured out what they were talking about. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why Monday morning? Why? Yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not a football fan. <laughs> no, neither am I. Um, but once, um, you know, when, when you think about the fact that we, we tend to look back and think, well, why did we do that? We beat mm -hmm. ourselves up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, and, and I'll tell you that a lot of the theme of what I hear when I ask women the question is 
it's going to be okay. That's yeah. a big theme. Yeah. I would tell my younger self, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right? Because we gain experience mm -hmm. over the years and we mm -hmm. learn that things that maybe we would freak out about when we were younger, they're just, it's, it's going to be okay. Don't freak out about it. A lot, a lot of, um, um, a lot of people go with that same notion, right? Uh, failure is not fatal. Mm -hmm. Things like that to kind of like tell their younger self that. But I love this idea of being thankful mm -hmm. to yourself when you were younger because what it says is she was a huge foundational part yes. of where you are today. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. which I believe, okay. yeah. And I would also, yeah. That. I think telling her that it would be okay is a close second, you know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be anywhere without that younger self. <laughs> Amen. The time. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for spending your time with us. If people want to uh, follow you, um, we will obviously be mentioning to them um, where they can pick up the book, but if people want to follow you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so um, I am on Instagram at Danielle Friedman Writes, where I share a lot of fun archival fitness materials and, mm -hmm. and thoughts about all of these topics. I'm on Twitter at D Friedman Writes. And you can also visit my website, which is danielle-friedman.com. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today and for doing this work, which I think is so important for, for women to understand and kind of see how we've evolved. I love it. So thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you so much. This has been so much. Thank you for listening to She Speaks How She Does It. We hope that this episode inspired you in your own experience and path towards success. Be sure to like and subscribe to follow our series of conversations. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. So join the conversation at She Speaks Up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also join She Speaks at SheSpeaks.com. Thanks for listening. We look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for listening. If you're an influencer or a brand that wants to work with us, please feel free to email us at info at Until next time.